could not think of any other song that's more fitting for the message this morning. But with that being said, I just want to, and God put this on my heart yesterday. We talk about change of circumstances. We talk about healing. We talk about getting out of things and God delivering us from things. I want you to understand something. The best healing, the best change of circumstance, the best deliverance that a person can have is salvation. So, so my question today, before I even get started, is very simple. If you are here and you would have Jesus as your Savior, right now you are lost, you don't have your circumstance is dreadful. Your circumstance is complete darkness. No hope. Without Christ, that is your circumstance. You you are dead in your trespasses and sin. You need healing. You're in bondage to your sin. You need deliverance. I'm not talking about all this stuff. People convulsing and running around and and, and, and foaming at the mouth. Let me just tell you something. The name of Jesus is more powerful than that. <laughs> so today, if you know that you need Jesus and you want that circumstance to change, you want that deliverance, you want that healing, I want you to know this is not a church that you got to wait until the altar call. You stop us where we're at, and we will celebrate you being saved. Amen? But this morning, we are back in our study picking up the pieces. Everyone turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. When things begin to fall all around, what do we do? How do we act? Who do we go to when the pieces of our life start to fall? Our response to trials is the most important part of the trial, for it is our response through the darkest times that brings light to those who need Jesus. Now, here's the issue that we have. When we're in a trial, when we are struggling, when we are suffering, when we are being persecuted, it is very easy to have an egocentric mindset and perspective about it. Let me just go ahead and tell you, when I'm laying sick in bed this week, very, very rarely did I think of anyone but myself. Do you understand? Oh, I don't feel good. I feel bad. I need ginger ale. Like, I need this. I need that. Right? It's very difficult to think of anyone but ourselves when things aren't going right. But see, if we could just turn our minds to the mind of Christ and understand that our trials that the circumstances that God has allowed in our life could very well be used to his glory and to lead others to him. So it is our response that is important because it is our response that people see. Nobody cares about the trial. Listen, I'm not being mean. I'm just being honest. This world does not care that you're going through it but they will care how you go through it. We have spoken of picking up the pieces in our personal life. James told us how we could have joy, wisdom, and hope within the trial. Peter has told us that we do not have to be afraid of the terror, neither do we have to be troubled by it. Although Scripture does not tell us, church tradition holds that Peter, 
the one who wrote that, was crucified upside down. We do know that according to Acts 12, verse 1, that King Herod Agrippa had James, the one who told us that we could have joy, wisdom, and hope in the trial, he was executed by beheading. What I'm trying to say is, hey, tough times will come. Why? Because they live for Christ. The trials that they experienced was not for evil, but for good. Peter wrote about this in 1 Peter 3, 17. It says this, For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil doing. May we be emboldened by those who have gone before us, and may we understand the importance of how we pick up the pieces in our life. Now, this morning, we're going to remain in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, but we're going to look at how to pick up the pieces in our marriage. This sermon series, Picking Up the Pieces, we're going to talk about a lot of things that every single person at some point in the series can directly uh, uh, relate to, right? So, so we are in part two of marriage. Next week, we'll, we'll, we'll have our agape feast next week, but the week after that, We'll get into parenting and how to pick up the pieces in our family. And then after that, we'll even talk about mental health and all the things that we need to understand as Christians, as God's people. But I do believe that it's very important to understand what God expects of our marriage. Because what the world expects of our marriage is not necessarily what God expects. The most beautiful relationship in earthly terms can become very ugly very quickly. Has anyone ever experienced that? We all can say we've experienced that at some point. Now, I do not have to repeat the statistics for us to understand the institution of marriage is openly being attacked. Now, you say, well, I'm not married or, well, I've been divorced and, and, and I've made mistakes, pastor, so I guess I don't have to listen today. Let me explain something to you. If you think just because you're single or just because you're divorced or whatever it is that you don't need to understand the principles of what God desires between a man and a woman in marriage, please hear me that we are called the bride of Christ. So the principles that we're learning here can be applied to our relationship with Christ. In Scripture, God lays out how we can heal a broken marriage, how we can truly pick up the pieces. But understand, just because it's God's way does not make it the easy way. I don't care what the prosperity preachers tell you. God's way can be difficult. (laughs) The right way is not always the short way. It's not always going to be the shortcut that gets it to where you need it to get. Why? Because we have allowed the world's brokenness to step, to step and to seep into our life. So last week we talked about, we saw that submission can produce transformation. Now, I do want to warn everybody. I am not the preacher that when I preach on these topics, I hold back. Does that make sense? So you might hear some terms you don't like today. <laughs> Right? And, and, and we, we might hear some, some concepts and principles that God says is right, 
It doesn't matter if I say it's right or you say it's right. If God says it's right, then it's right. So I just want you, I'm not trying to give myself a disclaimer. I just want you to understand, don't, don't shut me off because you don't like what you're hearing. Because sometimes the things you don't like to hear are the things that you have to hear. So anyway, we saw how submission can produce transformation. Look at verses 1 and 2 of 1 Peter chapter 3. It says this. If you're there, say, read. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. The title again is Healing a Broken Marriage. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. God, I know that there's a lot of sickness going around, a lot of things happening that would hinder people from being here at church. But, Lord, I thank you for those that are here. And, Lord, God, I pray that as I preach, God, on this topic of marriage, on this institution that you founded, God, first off, I want to thank you for it. But, Lord, I also want us to understand that there is a path of marriage that will work. And in saying that, that means that there's many other paths that will not work. So, Lord, may we focus in on what you say about it, and may we begin to pick up the pieces. Father, there's somebody here who is lost and needs Jesus. God, I pray they confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in their heart that you raised them from the dead. And today, I pray we can celebrate their salvation and their new birth in Christ. For those that have ears to hear, let them hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to know the last thing that we can do is give up. <clears throat> Remember, 66% of men and 74% of women think their partners should have worked harder to save their marriage. That's a lot. Church, think about that. There's more at stake than just a messy split. Eternity could hang in the balance. We have to begin looking <clears throat> at marriage as spiritual, not just physical, emotional, financial, and recreational. If, if our society, if our culture did it the right way, when a man and woman stood at the altar, if that was a spiritual experience and not just a a physical and emotional and financial experience, it might look different today. A spiritual transaction happens at the time of the wedding. And it's a very important one. If the foundation is not set properly, the walls will begin to crack. And once a wall cracks, unless fixed at the foundation, total failure will follow. But God is stronger than any trial that will come to your marriage. Amen? And I want you to understand that don't give up. Experience the transformation. And, and I, I, I want everyone to hear me that there's many testimonies even here at this church. Hold on one second. There's many testimonies here at this very church of marriages that were just about done, completely over, yet transformation took place. It can and does happen. Now, you say, well, again, preacher, I, I've been divorced, and where does that leave me? 
I'm not justifying any sin, but I do know this. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. (laughs) We are not here at Cedar Grove to shame you. We are not here at Cedar Grove to condemn you. This preacher is not going to love you less because you've been divorced. Do you understand that? That ain't happening. But I will tell you that just because we made mistakes in our past does not mean we have to repeat them in our present. So the principles we learn are very important. Is everyone with me this morning? Listen, you don't know how much medicine I've taken to be up here. All right? So let's just stay with me. But God is greater than any problem you will face. So that is submission produces transformation. But number two, we're going to see internal focus will produce external honor. What does that mean? Well, let's let's look at it for a second. Look at verses 3 through 6 right here. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great Price For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Our world looks at this verse, looks at this text, and despises it. They hate it. It's totally contrary to the modern-day feminism. It's totally contrary to the modern-day reverse roles of how a marriage should look. It's totally foreign to what marriage was founded to be, at least what they think it is. Now, our world has completely distorted what it means to honor a woman. Today, the more a woman dresses like the world, the more attractive they seem. Today, really, if you want to be real with it, the less a woman dresses, the more attention they get. That's just, that's how our culture sees women. And what has happened is we have created a culture of always feeling like we have to prove something to others. I don't know if you've ever been to a gym here recently. But if you have, well, if you haven't, you might need to go. I don't know. Just for some, you know, health benefit. But if you do go, you will see very quickly that the standard of what beauty is has turned sinful. I mean, you've got, there's times that you got to go in the gym and you've got to like, you've got to put a blindfold over your eyes just to, just to get a workout in. Why? Because this society has accepted women dressing in such a way and acting in such a way that is not godly. And you say, well, that's the woman's fault. No, it's not. It's the men's fault by not keeping the standard. Why do women do this? Well, men, again, we have blurred the standard. We, you don't think your wife sees what you watch and hears those remarks or, or those complaints? See, in biblical times... Jewelry was uh, used very similar to how it is used today, to impress, to show off, to meet a standard. Many times it was also used 
in religious activities. But, but let's not get confused here. It's not that jewelry is ungodly, although some can be, or putting on nice apparel. Listen, I'm up here in a suit and tie. It is not a bad thing to be up here in a suit and tie. It is not a bad thing to come to church looking nice. It's not a bad thing, young people or whoever needs a job, to go into an interview presenting yourself in a good way. That's not a bad thing. But what happens is we put our value in that. The issue is where the value is. That word adorning is a very interesting word. I don't know if you've ever studied it in the Greek, but it is the Greek term cosmos. Does anyone know or ever heard of the Greek term cosmos? Anyone ever heard John 3.16? For God so loved the cosmos, right? So that's what that word world is in the Greek. It, it, It means the created world, all created things. But right here, it is also meaning, of course, uh, ornament, decoration, and adornment. You say, well, why are you, why are you bringing this up? Well, well, don't miss this. Just for a second, just stay with me. You are part of God's cosmos. All created things. God created you. He created you uniquely. Uh, he, he created you specifically. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's a pretty big statement to make. That's pretty awesome. As a matter of fact, you know, if you look at creation, it, it just tells us that, hey, yeah, God said, let this be and let that be. But God breathed the breath of life into us. <laughs> he was specific with us. He had a purpose for us. When God breathed life in the man, it wasn't breathed outside. He breathed life into man. Look at verse 4 again. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. Men, you want to start picking up the pieces in your marriage. Value what God values about your woman. And as a godly wife, there, there are certain There's a certain personality God sees as precious, of of high price. It's not off the rails and obnoxious with criticism and complaining. And and listen, I know men that do the same thing. But rather a meek and quiet spirit. Well, preacher, you don't, I don't like that. Here's the thing we got to understand that we've got to start putting our perspectives where God's perspective is. <laughs> that's, uh, well, preacher, that's male chauvinism. I had to look up how to spell that. Is that how you say it? Chauvinism? Chauvinism? You know, I, I was a funny story. I was uh, talking to somebody one time, and uh, they're in the uh, counseling realm of the world. <laughs> and so uh, I was telling them about me and Heather's uh, relationship, right? Like how things kind of work at the house. And, and uh, after I was done, she said, you're, you're a male chauvinist. I said, what are you talking about? I said, don't you cuss at me. Well, I don't know what you just called me, but I didn't like it. And then she goes, yeah, you're, you're kind of toxic. I'm like, what? I don't, what are you, what are the words you're saying right now? Do you, do you, 
And I said, you're crazy. <laughs> and she said, you're gaslighting. I said, what? I had no idea what these terms, I had to go and look these terms up. And I was like, this lady for real crazy. But no, seriously, think about it. When you, when you start saying, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I make the decisions in the home that are, you know, that, that, that are, that are of any impact. Yes, we talk about it, but I, I have final say. And, 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 and yes, you know, I take care of the outside. She takes care of the inside and, 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 and I provide all these things. People start saying, Oh, well, you're just putting her in a box. No, 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 no. My wife is where she needs to be because that's where God has placed her. Now, I'm not trying to say that Heather can't go out and do this and can't do that, but there is a certain responsibility that I have that does not change in any circumstance. So I guess that makes us Christian men toxic, chauvinistic, and uh, gaslighting. I'll never forget that. I mean, I literally, I, I was like, I'm, I'm about to fight a lady and really be chauvinistic. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but no, we're, we're friends. It was just funny how that, you know, all happened. But honestly, you know, all jokes aside, that could be a reason why our marriages are falling apart. Because of the standard we've allowed the world to put on them. Notice that the world standards are shifting. I don't know about you, but generations before, things looked a lot different about marriage. Generation before that, things looked different in marriage. Generation before that, things looked different in marriage. Today, today marriage is just whatever. Today, people get married and think, ah, well, we'll get married for now. Or, hey, you know, I, I, there's even videos out. And, and I don't know if you're on social media or not, but it's on these little, I guess, the little shorts. And, and people are laughing and, and thinking it's hilarious. And, and it's these, these, these people, when, they, when they're holding hands and giving the vows, you know, and they say, you know, for you know, sickness and in health and all these things. And, and, and a, few of the, a few of the videos show that when they go for richer, she'll go for richer. For poorer, she'll go, hmm. And then when it, when it, when it goes into... And, I will obey you as my husband should go, hold on, I didn't sign up for this. Do you see the mindset that's an issue there? Again, that could be the part why our marriages are falling apart. So God gives us an example of what he's talking about here. Look at verse 5 and 6 again. Is everyone still with me? Does everyone still love me? I love y'all too. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, again, this doesn't sit well in today's culture. How could Sarah call Abraham Lord? That is master. That's not equality. That, that, that's right. That's sexist. Well, verse 5 tells us that the holy women of the Old Testament display purity of life and a submissive spirit. And Peter is telling us these two characteristics being a woman's, a woman's source of attractiveness and beauty. So when Sarah calls her husband Abraham master, she, it's not a, a master-slave situation. She is simply recognizing him as leader of their home and household. Most importantly, though, these holy women trusted in God. Their hope was in God. Therefore, they had no problem with the plan for their home. Look at the end of verse 6 right here. 
whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. A daughter of Sarah is a woman who hopes in God, submits to their husband, and in doing so, they have nothing to fear. You do realize that living in fear in any capacity is not God's plan for you. Now, it's okay to be concerned, right? I'm not going to see a snake and just grab it, right? I'll be scared of that snake enough to go, you know, run away from it. And if you're one that can just go and grab a snake, you're either super brave or super crazy. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, there's a, super, there's, there's a healthy level of fear of things, right? It's just, it's just as simple as that. But when it comes to fear of circumstances or fear of situations or fear of outcomes, that, that's not the fear God has for us. But he gives us power, love, and a, and a sound mind. So a daughter of Sarah is one who does, has nothing to fear because she hopes in the Lord. What a beautiful picture of a godly woman. Man, if you have such a woman, you should thank God, but you also should thank her. A lot of times we like to thank God for things that we would never thank our wife for. And you know, God could be blessing us and is blessing us through her, so therefore we should show our appreciation to her as well. Amen? The culture puts an emphasis on independence and downright hate in regards to traditional marriage roles, but it has always worked. Eternal focus creates external honor. Now we're going to get to the third part here, and we're going to get to verse 7. And I had no way to alliterate this outside of number three. Respect your wife, and you can expect answered prayers. Look at verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. How do we pick up the pieces of our marriage? Well, Peter here tells us that we ought to give our wives two gifts of love. That is understanding and respect. Is that not completely opposite to what our culture says? Well, I just don't get her, preacher. I just guess I've been married to her 65 years and I still don't understand her. That's your fault. You know what I'm saying? First off, are you, are you not paying attention? 65 years is a long time. Now, I'm, I, listen, I understand that, that sometimes there's, there's some more difficult cases to crack. You know what I'm saying? But, but you don't just get to say, well, I just don't get her. I never will, so whatever. Uh, well, I have no idea what she wants from me. Most of the time you do, you're just not willing to do it. Mm, that, hit, that hurt me. I don't know why I said that. My goodness. Listen to me. It's our job as Christian, God-fearing husbands to know these things about our wife. And it might take some time and work. We are to dwell with them, the Bible says, according to knowledge. That can also read with understanding. In my house, there's a certain way we communicate. And I don't know if you've met my super beautiful, gorgeous, amazing wife, Heather. Uh, but, but she is quiet. <laughs> but 
very opposite of, of me. That's why it works. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I'm, I'm crazy obnoxious and, and she's more level-headed and just steady, you know? And, and, and it works. But our communication, when we, when we have disputes, it kind of goes like this. It goes, I will communicate the dispute. I said, okay, now A, B, and C is not going right. I know this is what I have done incorrectly. And this is what I may think possibly you yeah, have done incorrectly, <laughs> you know. And then I'll sit there and I'll say, what do you think about this? And she'll sit there and she'll go, hmm, yeah, probably. I'm like, but see, what, what we've learned is we're going to take the time, however long it takes, to get it settled. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter that she communicates differently to me and I communicate differently to her. We're going to take whatever time it takes to make sure that we understand each other. Now, that doesn't mean that we just become unmad, right, or undisappointed or unupset. But what that means is we understand why our spouse is upset, why they're mad, why they're frustrated. Does that make sense? So right here. It is our job to know this according to knowledge. It is our responsibility. It is our precious burden to understand and know our wives' spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. You know, it it breaks my heart, and this is just transparency for you as your pastor. (coughs) And I was talking to somebody the other day about this. But I've been convicted and, and, I, and I've made, you know, there was a time to where, man, ministry, was, and it still is everything in my life, but I'm talking every ounce of time I had went towards ministry. I was coaching so I could be with the kids. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm subbing so I could be with the kids. I'm FCA director so I could be with the kids. I'm, I'm out here, out there, hanging out with this person, going here, doing this Bible study, having this meeting, doing all this stuff so I could be with, with people that need ministry. And, man, and, I, and I would work hard to find out their, their, their spiritual need, their emotional need, their physical need, so I could minister to them. Well, about a, I don't know, and, and Heather could probably tell you the exact date, but about a year ago or so, I, I realized, man, I am neglecting the ministry that matters. I am neglecting the thing that can make or break my pastoral uh, role, <laughs> I mean, I'm neglecting the greatest gift that God has given me outside of salvation. That's my family. I mean, I'm talking about I'm leaving in the morning, and I'm, I'm, I'm kissing them goodbye, and then they're in, they're in bed when I get home. Does, you understand what I'm saying? And so I finally had to realize, i got to cut some things out. And so we cut some things out. And then I also, as I'm doing that, I'm also realizing, and i still got a lot of work to do. Again, Heather could probably tell you exactly how much work I have to do, but... But I have a lot of work to do in the fact of, man, when I'm, I'm, it's so easy for me to pray for y'all. It's so easy for me to have a 45-minute conversation on the phone about y'all's problems and y'all's issues. And here's the thing. I'm here for that. I'm not, I'm not, that's not a negative thing. Right? That's what I'm here for. I'm your pastor. But I have found that for some reason it is so difficult to have that same commitment in that way to my wife. You say, well, Jake, you're being too transparent. All I'm trying to say is this. I've lived long enough, not as long as some of y'all. Some of y'all has got me beat by a whole lot. 
But I have lived long enough to realize that if I'm dealing with something, others are dealing with it too. And see, maybe what it is, is we have, a, it's so much easier for us husbands to take care of the problems outside, outside of our home that we neglect the problems in our home. And the Bible says it is our job to dwell with them with understanding, with knowledge, to understand and know their needs and their desires. That's our job. Are you with me, husbands? And to be considerate of them. If that's too much work, it's the only way to begin picking up the pieces. But, but why? why? Why is that such? Why is sometimes that so, so much work? Well, well, look at verse 7. Again, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. We just read that. But look, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now, this is not saying that the wife is inferior to the husband. This is not saying that the woman is lesser than the man. Uh, she may be physically weaker. I, I don't know if I could be married to a woman that was stronger than me. You know what I'm saying? That'd be kind of messed up. We go to the gym. She's like, have, I'm having to spot her. You know what I'm saying? She's, I mean, that's kind of crazy. But, but, but physically and emotionally, very often, the, the woman is weaker in those areas. That, that's just how God created a woman. Again, that's not an inferiority thing. That's not something that makes her lesser. That, that's something that we should give her honor for. That's something that we should take care of in her life. That's why God put man and woman together. Listen, these, these sissified, frou-frou, uh, feminine, womanly men, that's not God's plan. You should not cry more than your wife. Okay, now listen, I, I, I may, maybe there's some here that's like that, and I didn't know. I'm sorry. I apologize for pointing you out. But all I'm trying to say is, listen, a man is to be manly. It's all there is to it. I, I was watching a video, and, and I need to stop watching videos. My goodness. But I was watching a video the other day, and it was this woman pulling a prank on her husband. And she was, now this was not a good prank, and do not do this at home, okay? Like this, like this is not cool at all. But she, she was comparing, she was like, I don't know why you don't understand me. And she compared someone that she worked with that understood her. I'm like, are you trying to get like a, like a, a counseling session going? But she was totally kidding. But the, she was like, baby, I'm just kidding. And the man started crying. And then all of a sudden, she's holding the man's head. And just, it's okay, baby, I'm sorry. Listen. There might be some occasions to where Heather might need to hold my head. <laughs> but I better be like throwing up or something, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like a little rag on my head. But no, listen, men need to be manly. That don't mean that you don't cry. I think it is important to show that your wife that you can mourn too. I think it's important to show your wife that you, that you are sensitive to the spirit too. Listen, if you ever see me, if, if, if my wife has seen me cry on very few occasions and 9.9 .9 out of 10 times, they've been at church, right? Because, listen, the Holy Spirit touches me. I, I see the, the, the importance that I want her and my family to see that I see that, right? I'm not too hard to be too good for, what's, for what God is doing. But, but we need to be manly men. Not that every man is strong or every woman is weak, 
But a healthy, God-honoring marriage displays a man taking care of his woman. Let's, let's continue. Everyone still with me? I think the medicine's wearing off. I don't know. I'm getting fever again. Let's look at this. And let's just continue in verse 7. Uh, it says, Likewise, ye husbands, draw with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now, this right here is beautiful. When, when me and Heather became husband and wife, we embarked on a journey together. Now, there has been some ups, there has been some downs, and there will be plenty more of both moving forward. But this grace of life God has gifted us with, we will enjoy together. Whatever comes our way, we will handle it together. Don't you love, don't you love what God said? Being heirs together of the grace of life. That's beautiful right there. Now, now let's, let's keep it going here. Uh, look at verse 7 again. That your prayers be not hindered. Well, I pray for my wife, preacher. Well, I, I'm sure you do. I'm sure, listen, I'm sure every husband in this place right now prays for his wife. I would at least hope so. But if you aren't working on understanding them, if you aren't honoring them as the weaker vessel, if you don't see how uh, see her as a fellow heir of life, listen to me, sir. Your prayers are being hindered. You can pray all you want. They're being cut off. That word hindered means cut off. If there is one dreadful thing I could ever think of, it's my prayers not getting there. Especially the prayers that I pray for the one I love the most. How can we even begin to pick up the pieces of our marriages if our prayers are being hindered? There's so many husbands that provide so well. They provide financially. They provide materialistically. They might even provide emotionally and psychologically. But I want you to understand something. Most importantly, above all else, your woman does not need a fat bank account. It's nice, but that's not what she needs. Your woman does not need all these things. Your woman does not need uh, all, all, all the luxuries of life. Your woman needs to know that her man loves the Lord more than anything else. She needs to know that because the way we act, because the way that we live our lives, because the way we trust in the Lord, that she can trust that we're praying for her and our prayers are not being hindered. They're being heard. Is the fight worth it? Is the work worth it? I believe so. I believe so. With heads bowed, eyes closed all over this place.